1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Billboard's Senior Director of Charts.
0: And I'm Katie Atkinson's Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. Hello, Katie. Hi,
1: Keith. How are you doing? I am good. It feels like now that we are in sort of the middle of November, mm-hmm. everything is going crazy with music. We've it's, got Taylor. Going we've got pop. Adele coming. It, it's just... A pop explosion. It 100%. feels like you know, the closer we get to Thanksgiving and the holidays, it's just only gonna get nuttier.
0: I think you're exactly right. Uh let me just remind just everyone. Thanksgiving <laughs> yes, Thanksgiving is next week, somehow. I don't somehow.
1: know. Somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop and Thanksgiving hmm. on Billboard's weekly charts in addition. You can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Summer Walker not only gets her first number one album on the Billboard 200 chart, but also lands a big week for R&B music, how ABBA... Gets its first top 10 album ever on the Billboard 200, which is just sort of insane to think Mm -hmm. about, actually, with the arrival of its first album, of their first album in nearly 40 years, Voyage, and how Ed Sheeran doubles up in the top five on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart
0: for the first time with both Shivers and Bad Habits. Also on the show, we've got news about Britney Spears' nearly 14 year conservatorship being terminated by a judge last week. Plus, Taylor Swift has released her re recording of 2012's Red Album, and she has given a lot to her fans this week. And we talk all about it, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts.
1: Alrighty, let's do the chat of the charts. Mm. Uh, First up, Summer Walker earns her first number one album on the Billboard 200 chart as the singer's second studio LP, Still Over It, arrives atop the list. The 20-track set was released on November 5th, and launches with 166,000 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending November 11th, according to MRC data. Over 90% of the album's first-week units were driven by streaming activity. Still Over It marks both the first R&B album by a woman to top the Billboard 200 in over five years, since Solange's A Seat at the Table hit number one back in 2016, and the largest streaming week ever, for an R&B album by a woman. It registered 201 million on-demand streams for its tracks in its first week.
0: I love this. I feel like we should have had Gail Mitchell on as our special guest to talk about the revival of R&B. I
1: I mean, I think Summer is sort of single-handedly kind of handling this right now. I, I have the feeling a lot of people might be surprised at how popular Summer Walker is because... She's so popular with R&B fans, Mm -hmm. but she hasn't had, like, a big pop moment yet, and that's why, like, you know, maybe this will be the album that kind of does that for her. Yeah. So, anyway, congratulations to Summer.
0: 100%. Next up,
1: pop legends ABBA earn their highest charting album ever on the Billboard 200 and very first top 10, as Voyage debuts at number two. The set was released on November 5th as well, and is the quartet's first new album since 1982's The Visitors, first new studio album, at least. Voyage starts with 82,000 equivalent album units, and of that sum, album sales comprise 78,000, which makes it the top-selling album of the week, and that's the largest sales week for an album by a group in 2021, which, anyway, all that's just (laughs) crazy to think (laughs) about. Um, And until this week... ABBA's highest charting album on the Billboard 200 was 1978's simply titled The Album, which peaked at number 14
0: uh, in July of 1978. Um, We need to break this down because I think that this statistic completely belies the popularity that ABBA had in their heyday, correct?
1: Yes, because they had, I mean, obviously they had a number one on the Hot 100 with Dancing Queen. They had other top 10 hits, um, uh, but it in their heyday, they were a global phenomenon mm-hmm. and obviously a popular act in America, um, but they weren't like critical faves in mm-hmm. America, certainly. They commercially did well, but they never had a top 10 album. Um, they had hit singles, but we know them now more through the enduring popularity. Legacy. Yeah, yeah, the legacy of the songs, and I think it's. I mean, uh, I've watched num- a number of interviews with uh, Benny and Bjorn of ABBA in in the past few weeks talking about the new album, and you know they've talked about how you know though they haven't released a new album in basically 40 years, they acknowledge that they're probably more
0: popular than they ever have been
1: in like the last 20 to hmm. 30 years.
0: That's so wild to think of that. But yeah, I mean, you can list off like three separate pop culture things that have brought them to the forefront in just the last, you know, a dec- few decades. So well, certainly, yeah. I
1: mean, obviously, certainly like, you know, I mean, I, th- I I, think for me, um, the thing that kind of Kind of spurred some of the ABBA resurgence in the '90s was their music being featured in the film *Muriel's Wedding*.
0: We have spoken about this on the podcast yeah. before. You saw that in the theater because right. there was yes. a Madonna. Yeah,
1: I know. <laughs> We're not going to get into that, but um, *Mamma uh, Mia*. The, ma, but then, but then, but then *Muriel's Wedding* spurred the success of ABBA Gold. Everyone went and 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 Gold yeah. became. Um, A a big seller again, and it stayed around on the charts forever. But then, of course, Mamma Mia, the musical, stage show, which then turned into a hit film, which had its own number one album
0: on the Billboard 200.
1: So it's just...
0: I mean, then also, like, Glee... You know, covered Dancing Queen. It's like you could just pinpoint all these little things where different entry points for different generations to come into their music that didn't happen in 1978, 1982. These people are all, you know, combining together.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a a huge number of fans of ABBA now who did not exist literally in the universe the last time ABBA had an album. Right, right. So, So this is incredible. I love this. Yeah. All right, lastly, over on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, While Adele's Easy On Me stays put at number one for a fourth straight week, Ed Sheeran does something he's never done before, as he has placed two songs in the top five at the same time. Bad Habits, which previously peaked at number two, holds at number four this week, while his latest single, Shivers, climbs six to five for a new high. The latter becomes his sixth top five charting hit, And both tracks are from his new album, Equals, which debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 last week. Elsewhere on the Hot 100, Post Malone and The Weeknd's collaboration, One Right Now, debuts straight in at number six. It's the 10th top 10 for Posty and the 14th
0: for The Weeknd. They put out a music video for the song today, Monday. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what that might do for it on the chart next week. Maybe it'll just keep it in the top 10 or whatever. We'll see. Yeah, I wonder why it didn't come out on the same day as the song dropping. It's a very elaborate video, and it's very bloody and gory. So potentially it could be the, the kind weekend of thing The Weeknd has where, a bloody video? Oh, <laughs> what a shock. It could be a thing where they did not have it done in time. You know what I mean? It's like a high production video. All right. Um, meanwhile,
1: uh, Silk Sonic, the duo of Bruno Mars and Anderson .Paak, sees its new single, Smoking Out the Window, debut at number eight. It's the 18th top ten for Mars and the second for Anderson .Paak. Both songs are from the pair's first album, Together, which is titled An Evening with Silk Sonic, and it dropped last Friday, and it's due to debut on next week's Billboard 200 chart, which is dated November 27th.
0: Somewhere behind Taylor Swift's Red. Taylor's version, probably. (laughs) Hey, look, we we aren't
1: going to tell you where these things are going to end up, but I'm just saying (laughs) that Taylor Swift has had nine number one albums, yeah, and she tends to debut at number one, yeah. So just think of that. And (laughs) Bruno Mars tends to debut fairly high on the Billboard 200,
0: so um, you know you make your guesses draw your conclusions from that uh let's take a look at some of the biggest headlines over on billboard.com next starting with the free britney movement being successful britney's conservatorship has ended the nearly 14 year legal conservatorship over britney spears was formally terminated by a los angeles judge on friday after months of pressure from a passionate hashtag free britney movement at a hearing in L.A. County Superior Court, Judge Brenda Penny legally ended an arrangement that was imposed in 2008 following a string of erratic behavior and public incidents by the superstar singer, and the move was largely expected, uh, given some moves from Brittany's dad, Jamie Spears, who controlled the conservatorship for years, but then he ended up being suspended in September and then now has called for an end to the conservatorship, which has happened. So at a press conference outside the courthouse, I'm not sure if you saw any of the videos of the crowd, Keith, but there's a lot of confetti, a lot of signs, a lot of celebration. And uh, actually Tetris, our co-worker, was there amidst Shock. the crowd. I'm he actually shocked. was in the courtroom on Friday. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Wow. We uh, He was Billboard's representative in the courtroom and got out of there just in time to catch the celebration on video because that's what he's on our video team. Um, but was able to convey the ruling to our legal reporter in New York, and uh, yeah, Tetris, our Britney well, correspondent, that's,
1: that's sort of sort of no no better person uh, to be in the courtroom there, uh, yes. considering his his knowledge of Britney,
0: and he actually captured this really great video that went up on Billboard's uh, Twitter account uh, of Matthew Rosengart, Britney's attorney, saying, quote, "What's next for Britney? And this is the first time that this could be said for about a decade is up to one person." Brittany. So Britney herself reacted to the conservatorship ending by posting a video of her fans celebrating outside the courthouse to her Instagram on Friday. And she wrote, good God. I love my fans so much. It's crazy. I think I'm going to cry for the rest of the day. Best day ever. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? And then she ended it with the hashtag freed Brittany. So mm. there's your, that. I mean, the 13, almost 14 years of this, It's wild. Um, It's wild how quickly it all moved, honestly, once people started paying attention. So
1: I think the big question now is, well, what's next? So,
0: yeah. And Bill, so our, our new legal reporter, Bill Donahue, he actually wrote in a piece about this a little bit. You know, Britney's legal issues are far from over. There's a lot of like unraveling that has to happen from this conservatorship. There's been people that, you know, have been fully in charge of her both financial and personal life for more than a decade. And there's a lot to, to untangle. So that's kind of the next phase is watching how that happens. But like Matthew Rosengart said, I mean, Brittany wrote an Instagram post on Monday today saying, um, you know, she had her first weekend where she like just went out and like got a glass of champagne at a restaurant. Like God bless her. She's just doing what she wants to do now without anyone telling her she can't, you know, so that's cool. I'm I, I, I feel
1: like I heard something on a news report that might have been relaying something that Brittany herself had even said at some point where, you know, though she can do anything she wants now, she has to be very mindful of what the perception is of what she does and how that's viewed and, you know, Doesn't that things, can, <laughs> things, can, well, th- things can go sideways real quick.
0: One hundred percent. It's a bummer because, you know, a lot of people looking at the arrangement that she's been under for the last few years are, you know, worried about, you know, what could happen for her next. And obviously that's a valid concern. Um, you know, there were potential mental health issues, etc. you know, that led to this. But also, I mean, she's still a young woman who just you know, we, we all kind of go out and make our own mistakes and and live, you know, private lives where we do dumb stuff. She's hasn't gotten to do the dumb stuff for thirteen years. And so she might make like she might trip up by just living her life. And it's kind of it's unfortunate that she, that she has to, like, walk on eggshells a little bit because of this legal arrangement that she was under for so long. You know, the idea that it could be slapped back on her someday, you
1: know. Well, hopefully she's gotten a lot of you know good counsel from her uh, well-placed friends and associates and some of her kind of high profile supporters, you know, ranging from Lady Gaga to Madonna, who have all, uh, supported her. I mean, that's just, the tip. I mean, share. that's the tip of the iceberg. There's tons of people who all, and all of them have incredible, um, sort of business associates that can maybe help Brittany if she needs it with sort of sorting out all of these things and making the right decisions of who's handling your money, who's helping you with decisions. And also just the things that, you know, Brittany wants to do where, you know, if she just wants to like, you know, get in the car and go somewhere and drive somewhere under her own steam with her behind the wheel, you know, or get married or, you know, take a trip to Hawaii or have a kid or, you know, do yeah. whatever you want. Um, that's a good point, be though, because,
0: you know. you know, the thing that's been so disturbing about all of this is that it's her family that was like pulling the strings. And so now I imagine she would be pretty distrustful of a lot of people if like her own family, who she thought she could have trusted the most, was sort of like, you know, running the machinations of this whole thing. So I like the idea, to your point, of people like Lady Gaga and Madonna and people who are in her corner and have, you know, power to like, you know, get things done and, and know the right people. I like that idea a lot. So I hope she does go to them.
1: Call Gaga. I, I just I just hope Brittany gets a driver that drive, you know.
0: I think her driver is her fiance Sam Asgari. Okay. <laughs> I'm just
1: I'm just saying no one wants especially Brittany situations where she finds herself in like a mass of paparazzi and people chasing her. No, and totally. I mean, yeah, we, we no one wants that. So like how do you how do you solve that problem?
0: I hope they I mean I feel like the celebrity culture in general has shifted and changed since that. I mean I, I know that there are still paparazzi, but I feel like the um pendulum has switched where you know it used to be that like we were all about getting these pictures and seeing us weekly and tmz and all that and i think that the pendulum has definitely shifted toward like the human rights of a celebrity versus us buying this trashy magazine that's my perception of it maybe it's because i'm older because i definitely ate up the trash when i was in my 20s and loved all the paris britney Lindsay, you know drama that you'd see every weekend but i I I think that she's in a better climate now than she was when she was like in the eye of the storm back mm. when this all took place and you know that that's kind of what the um, framing Britney Spears documentary really brought to light was like not just media's treatment of Britney but like culture like you know people's treatment of Britney all be is all intertwined the way that we you know we wanted this salacious content and her life was, like, you know, altered in a bad way because of us needing all this, like, access to her. And it just all, you know, just got really gross and sad. And now people understood that, like, she needs a second chance. And 13 years is a long time to, you know, be paying your dues for mistakes you made when you were in your 20s. So here she is getting her second chance. And I think everyone thinks that she deserves it. And now, like she, I mean, it's a lot of responsibility. But I think she's ready to, you know, live a, a free life.
1: A question I've wondered, as I realized we we're, were talking sort of a lot about this, but I'm I think we're all thinking we're we're all wondering. We, all of us are, have many questions about sort of her time during. This time period of her life. Mm-hmm. And how much of these sort of professional decisions around releasing music, doing Las Vegas residencies, going on tour, you know, how much control does she really have? And I wonder, you know, because, you know, sometimes, you know, people would remark like, well, she's not, she isn't dancing as well as she used to, or she doesn't seem engaged here, or she isn't smiling the way she used to smile. And you think, Gosh, how much of that stuff, you know? Those singles. Did she have a gun to her head? Like those music videos that she did, where we're like, "Wow, that music video didn't turn out very well." We're like, "Well, maybe she didn't like doing it. Maybe she didn't want to do it, and maybe she didn't want to put out that album, or maybe she didn't want to do this Vegas residency, and maybe the reason why she didn't do X, Y, and Z was because." She only did things that she absolutely had to do. And so now you think, like, well, what will she do? Is she going to do more music or should be like, nah, I'm good. I'm retired. I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to sit at home and like, I'm going to cook. Who cares?
0: I get the impression that and I don't know this for a fact, but I get the impression that like doing music and performing and all those kind of professional engagements probably. Afforded her a a an appearance of freedom because she was going out and doing things right, but I think that she realized that to make a change in her life, she kind of had to like completely halt the gravy train. She had to be like, I don't want to do this second bigger Vegas residency and be back on this hamster wheel of working for you to make like to do all this uh, you know make all this money that I'm not seeing or getting to like spend or you know enjoy. I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's when finally the public might pay attention to, you know, something's wrong. Why is this once super, you know, effervescent performer holding up all of a sudden? And it's like, because she didn't want to like, you know, perform, you know, for like, I don't know, sing for her supper anymore. She was done with it. And right. that, that is when people started paying attention That's when the free Britney movement was like picking up any hint from like every emoji she put on an Instagram post because they're like, this woman is not in hiding by choice. She's like hiding out to like figure out how to escape. Basically, what's the situation that she's in, you know, and they I think they were right. Judging by Britney's testimony this summer, they were right. She was trying to escape something. So, um all yeah. right. so I'm excited for whatever she wants to do because if she does perform now we know it's her decision you know yeah. and, and we can enjoy that performance more because looking back you and I went to that Britney residency together in Las Vegas and we, I, I said you know some of those things like man it just seems a little bit you know she's not fully like committed to this performance and like we said she probably wasn't I would love to either see her thrive personally off in a private life or if she wants to get back on stage thrive there you know whatever she wants oh well clearly we had thoughts on britney (laughs) all (laughs) right let's uh let's move along to uh taylor swift it was a huge pop week obviously um as you can tell by these headlines uh taylor swift released red taylor's version which is the second in the superstars Promise series of six re-recorded albums wait has she said six yeah, it's her first six. It's all her big machine albums.
1: Yeah, but she but she released more than just six studio albums.
0: Oh, do you think that um are we talking like does she have a Christmas project? She had her project? Christmas EP. Will she put out her Christmas album? I think she has. I think we I don't know if I don't know if she said six. I will not I will say that. But we have okay. been reporting six. Um So the original Red was released back in October 2012, um, and now Swift is back with The Beloved Project, re-recording the original 16 tracks, plus five deluxe edition songs, and then nine From the Vault new editions, which include features from Chris Stapleton, Ed Sheeran, Phoebe Bridgers, um, and among those From the Vault tracks as well was the long-awaited 10-minute version of the fan-favorite All Too Well. So speaking of all too well, Swift also released a short film based on the song on Friday, starring Dylan O'Brien and Sadie Sink. And she performed the 10 minute version on TV for the first time on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. And also, by the way, she just put out an acoustic version on Monday that was recorded at the premiere of the short film on Friday. Which
1: pop shop. Oh, gee!
0: Jason Lipschitz, was
1: in the audience for. He him.
0: attended. That's correct. He reported on that. If you want to get maybe we can inside hear him that. yelling in the audience on the yeah, acoustic version maybe. that they just released. I, mean, I hope he saved his um his all too well branded tissues that they handed out before. Maybe he's in the maybe he's in the credits as part of a choir. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe. Um. Uh, okay. So there's a few more things. Uh. She premiered a Blake Lively directed music video for "I Bet You Think About Me," which is the new slash old song that features now features Chris Stapleton. As well and, as and, and, a surpri- and a surprise a surprise surprise uh, A-list actor in in, in Miles Teller. Miles Teller yeah. stars in it. Great video, by the way. Just absolutely loved it start to finish. I kind of want to see the entire movie, if I'm being honest. Um, this is all as of our Monday recording, so you might have like four more lyric videos and two short films by now on Tuesday. By the time you hear this, who knows? And finally, just to mention, I should have never started my work day on Friday by watching the lyric video for Ronan which I don't know how familiar you are with that song, but it's written from the perspective of a mom who lost her four-year-old son uh, after he had a cancer battle. And uh, the chorus is, you know, you were my best four years, and I literally have a four-year-old son. And I about lost my mind watching the video. I was going to say, how old is Calvin? Mm. He's four. And it's these incredible photos and videos of this little boy that the mother gave to Taylor to make this lyric video. It's yeah so anyway i just told you about nine million things this is this is the this sort of like content overload that taylor is giving us and then on top of that she sent out all these packages to her famous friends including her famous friend keith caulfield apparently (laughs) has a a (laughs) mailer yeah so so uh
1: (laughs) i got home the other day and there was a box on my porch um from an address in nashville I'm so um, jealous right now. Um, this, uh, this is not going to be good podcast material because it's not video.
0: I, this um, would be a, normally a YouTube unboxing video, but instead we're going to do a podcast unboxing. We,
1: we, we You know, <laughs> let's see how this turns out. We can always just cut it out if this is terrible. <laughs> so here's a fabulous cardboard box. Ooh okay. la la. So far so good. Um, I've, I, yeah, I've already opened it. Um, I haven't opened all the pieces, so I don't really know what's inside. Oh my gosh. Um,
0: Keith casually asked me, did you get a package from Taylor? I'm like, no, did you?
1: So so there's a... Oh my gosh, um, it's beautiful. There's kind of like a... Well, this is just the first part. So there's a red red box with Mm -hmm. a big sort of satiny red um, bow on it. It's the kind of bow Um, that would be like on a Mercedes Benz in a Christmas commercial. Very much so. And the box (laughs) is like um, five inches tall by like seven inches wide. It's like a big square box. It's pretty hefty. On the bottom, there is a little... Foil sticker that says Taylor Swift Red Taylor's version. Oh my gosh! I I can show that. And then, um, all right, I'm gonna take the, the ribbon off.
0: See, this is the problem there. of not being in the office because I would definitely just steal all of this if we shared an office <laughs> right now. <laughs> so,
1: taking the ribbon off. Um, all right, inside the box. Okay, so the box opens up. It's a very fancy mm-hmm, open up mm-hmm. box, and there's a note. Um, oh my! Is that
0: handwritten? Well. It hand, looks
1: handwritten. Looks handwritten. I'm sure it's her handwriting, but it's <laughs> it like printed looks on. handwritten. So it says, and I haven't read this yet. Oh. Hi, pal. Um, it is my greatest hope that you might join me as we metaphorically and musically paint the town red. My version, in parentheses. Love that. Exclamation point. Um, sending you my love, gratitude, a ring, and a scarf. Your friend uh, Taylor.
0: Okay, I knew I there was going to be a scarf in there because if you saw anything on social media this week uh, or weekend, Camila Cabello posed and danced around in her red scarf.
1: Oh, okay. and now
0: Keith will do the same. Just look to <laughs> Keith's Instagram. <laughs> I also,
1: I also am fully like disclosing, like you know, like it is not unusual that people at publications such as Billboard will randomly get promo items in the mail. This does not influence do not any of our coverage. We do not solicit these things. Not, they, they I did not solicit us. this. I did not ask for this. This just yes. showed up. Yes. This does not influence nor change he's any just, of the things I write about
0: Taylor Swift. He's just the lucky one that's quoting a song from Red. <laughs> All right. So there's a little tiny
1: box inside.
0: Oh, with my a gosh. a picture
1: of the album cover. On the mm-hmm. other side, it says Taylor Swift. It's a little... Um, so
0: this is a ring? Well, she said in the note it was a ring. I'm Let's guessing see, this is a ring. What kind of a ring? I don't know. Um, it's a
1: little ring and it... Um, what is it? Oh, it says red. It's like in little... Oh, like, uh, yep. It's like it's sort of like a little... It looks like a silver, very shiny, glittery ring. That would ring. be a strong choice for you to wear that ring. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to pop it on and see what it looks like. Um, uh, it's like a Swifty I mean, calling card. Yeah, pretty much. Um <laughs> I mean, it looks great on my ring there you finger. Go. Yes. Let me tell you. Um, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna put that away. We'll leave the ring on, and th- there's a scarf in this box.
0: I hope we're picking Alrighty. up the the ASMR of all the things being unboxed. Um, so a big red woven scarf. It's a beautiful scarf.
1: Smells does nice.
0: It, is there any branding of any nature on the scarf? Like, does it oh. have the album name or something? Just, Good question. No, it just looks like it's a big...
1: I am not. I can't even see any... Oh, wait, there's this, a tag. This scarf...
0: Oh. Hold on, there is a tag go. on oh. it that says,
1: All Too Well.
0: Oh, I love that. This scarf makes an appearance in the Blake Lively uh, directed video, too. They She puts it on the bride during her speech to Miles Teller. I'm supposed to hand wash this okay. in cold
1: water. <laughs> Do not bleach... Dry flat. Okay. That's a lot of instructions.
0: Just don't, acrylic, just don't get it dirty.
1: Just don't get it just dirty. Just don't get it dirty. <laughs> um, and then, okay, at the bottom of the box, at the bottom <laughs> of the other, the cardboard box that all this came in, there's something at the bottom. Um, this looks like it's maybe a sweater
0: of some sort. A sweater?
1: Um, or a. I don't oh
0: my gosh what does it say oh my nope. gosh i love it so it oh, kind of it's looks so like it's a, cute
1: what, what does this look like to you like a it's
0: like a like a varsity full, sweatshirt like an
1: old-fashioned varsity like from the 50s
0: sweatshirt yeah exactly kind of like an old-timey football player sweatshirt Sort of a
1: um off off white cream color with like a some, burgundy
0: uh, taylor swift and stripes on the arms yeah
1: yeah with sort of like faux sort of I mean it looks it looks like I'm sort of out of like, you know, like a 50s like football squad or something yeah, if I were mm-hmm. to wear this. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, this is a uh, pretty nice. It's really nice. I mean, I would I would pop it on right now, but I'm not sure if it will fit me, but um <laughs> uh, well actually I'm kind of curious like what size it is. Well, you're about to find out. How would they um how would they know these things? Why it's a large, I'm sure it'll fit me. Mm-hmm. Um weirdly there's no music in the box um kind (laughs) of thought like that would come with it but well well thanks to um team taylor i don't pretend to know taylor uh (laughs) i've i've interviewed her a few times in the distant past
0: you're officially Um, her pal according to her potentially handwritten note how many people got
1: these boxes katie (laughs)
0: good question i don't know the answer to that um i haven't like been scouring twitter or anything like i said i saw her celebrity friends who shared about it I feel
1: like, um, I could be wrong, but I think, um, uh, Tiffany Taylor.
0: Did she um, get one?
1: She, she did something on the day that Red came out where it looked like she was wearing a cardigan, but maybe that was unrelated.
0: Maybe it was just her being a Swifty. I was going to say, she is like number one Swifty on staff for sure.
1: Well, clearly I'm, I'm as much of a pal as say Camila.
0: There you go. Exactly. Just as close. Uh,
1: I'm 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 pretty sure Taylor Swift hasn't the foggiest idea who I am,
0: um, Keith. Uh, moving to beyond the box and instead asking, um, do we do we have anything to predict about either Red Taylor's version performance on Billboard 200 or potentially All Too Well, which seems to be the focus track on the Hot 100? I will once again reiterate that. Taylor
1: Swift has had nine and number one albums on the Billboard 200 chart. She has already this year gone to number one with Fearless, Taylor's version,
0: uh, twice. And she (laughs) went back to number one with Evermore this year as well.
1: So um, when Fearless, Taylor's version, came out, it was only on CD and digital and streaming. And then... um, it hit vinyl later, and that's when it went back to number one. For the new Red Taylors version album, the vinyl and CD are all coming out at the same time, along with the digital album and the streaming edition of the album. So just, just think about that for a second and think, well, she has all the power of vinyl and CD and digital and streaming all in the same week. And considering her track history on the chart, it's probably a, a decent thought to have that she could be number one um, yes. regarding all too well. I have to say that I knew this song existed, but I didn't know that it was like a thing.
0: Well, really. then you have to go to billboard.com and read the article that we put up last week about how it became the sort of, uh, you know, fan favorite that it became because It wasn't a single. And for me, the minute or the moment that I've, you know, kind of knew it was bigger than, you know, any of us knew was when she performed it on the Grammys, which was at that point like a year plus after Red had originally come out. She performed it at the Grammys and did that performance at the piano, throwing her hair back. You know, behind right. her, and I think that that sort of created more like a around it, and then she started sort of performing it here and there because she didn't really like to perform it because it was a really personal and sad song, and so that gave it a little more juice too, and it just kept building from there. So. I, you
1: know, I was t- I was telling some coworkers, I said, you know, if if you're unfamiliar with the song. Um, your knowledge of it may be very limited to, hey, I've heard about, there's this like, ver, there's this like a song that Taylor did and it was an old song, but then she has like a 10 minute version that she's never released before that's supposed to be like this epic moment. And there's a big like like sort of mini movie that goes with it with like some familiar faces in it. and And on top of it, there's also some sort of like emotional narrative about a possible ex-boyfriend that is, the topic of the song. And it's like someone that we we may or may not know.
0: Rumored to be Jake Gyllenhaal, but Taylor herself has has never spoken about it. So you have all that combined
1: um, along with sort of the narrative of I'm taking back ownership of my recordings by Mm -hmm. recording everything and the 10 minute SNL performance that she did this past weekend, which watching that is just sort of electric Yeah, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So it didn't seem like I was watching a 10-minute song. It just the time just sort of flew by. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I, I again, I'm not like a Taylor Swift expert. So for me to be interested in this,
0: (laughs) you have a lot of information about it.
1: (laughs) I have a lot of information about it. Granted, I do work in the music industry. Right. Of course. (laughs) <laughs> um, anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how All Too Well does on the Hot yeah. 100 next week because mm-hmm. of all the interest around it. Um,
0: well, and just one more thought. I did an article also. I'm really hyping up billboard.com today, but I also did an article comparing the old lyrics and the new lyrics. And I mm-hmm. think that that's another curiosity factor. Like, if even if you did know All Too Well very well, you felt like you needed to listen to it and parse like what's new from the lyrics. And that is uh, borne out by how uh, many people read that article <laughs> since we put it up on Friday, because everyone's looking for that comparison of the new and old lyrics. Last two
1: things about this. Yeah, as we, a, as everyone,
0: l- this is a supersized show. Deal with it because there's it's too much interesting stuff happening right now. I
1: mean, hopefully, people are vaguely
0: interested. I mean, I hope we may so. cut out. We may cut out the
1: entire inbox. I think we should leave this all. It's all gold. <laughs> um, it's all red. Ah. Um, so, last two things. Um, I feel like, and I've said this before. I feel like I became much more interested in Taylor Swift um, as an artist when she performed. I Knew You Were Trouble from the Red Album on the American Music Awards, and I think it was 2012. The performance blew me away, and I was like, this is the moment where Taylor becomes a pop star. Mm. Because at that point, she was a country star that kind of leaned pop sometimes and this was the moment where it was like oh this is full on pop this there's is pop there's dubstep pop, pop. in that one yeah. yes <laughs> but but also the performance was like this isn't something a country star does this is this is beyond this is this is bigger and and i realized that i was you know that's very idiotic for me to say um but i freely admit that but mm-hmm. also remember it was 2012 it was a very different time mm-hmm. um Obviously, Taylor was a superstar at that point. But when I watched that, I'm like, okay, this is the game changer to me. To me, it was. And I've been obviously way more interested since then, as has everyone else. Yeah. Um, So that was the
0: one thing. And the second thing I. Well, I'm going to say something while you think about the second thing, because uh, for me, um like the first Taylor Swift album that I loved front to back was actually The Next Album 1989 from 2014. And now, revisiting Red through Taylor's version, I'm stunned to discover how many of the 1989 fingerprints are all over Red. There's so much of that, the sound that ends up in 1989 in Reputation, in Lover, that started with Red. It's just, it's clear as day. And um, it makes me have a fully new appreciation for Red because I think instead of looking at it through her country lens I'm now looking at it through what she is now which is beyond genre basically I mean given folklore evermore everything that's come since then and right. and I'm looking at it just from a like a genre agnostic place and realizing and appreciating new songs that I did not appreciate at the time
1: well and that was the thing like when Red came out that was her last album well her last new album to chart on the country albums chart yeah and And it was one of those things where, you know, they, they, I think, she and maybe her entire team were very aware of the fact that she was still from the world of country music. And they wanted to make sure that she still had one foot in country. And Mm -hmm. so half of the album sonically is kind of in the country sort of twang realm. Mm -hmm. But then you have stuff like I Knew You Were Trouble, which is not. Yeah. So... It is interesting to sort of go back and listen to it now and not have to think about all of sort of the baggage of like country and this and Nashville and radio yep. and yada yada. You just cleanse yourself of that and kind of go into it with a fresh pair of ears. The other I finally thought of the other thing I okay. was going to say. <laughs> she was on um Seth Meyers uh, the other day in the lead up to SNL and he asked her kind of like a very basic simple question like why are you re-recording your music? And she's like, you know, I totally understand, you know, this is kind of, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know this and, you know, it's okay. And she basically said, look, I've always wanted to record, you know, to own my music. The music industry is a little bit eh, about these things sometimes. I've always made that very clear to people. I uh, wanted to have that opportunity. I didn't get that opportunity. Someone else now owns my old albums, so I've decided to re-record them, and now these are mine. And it was it was it's a, it's a very simple thing because if you just plainly state it, like, look, these now I own mm-hmm. these. I'm I own these things now, so that's why I'm doing it. Pretty simple. And I mean, what you also what you also didn't say is that like I'm now making money off how, all these new things, and they are my things that I now own. But I thought the way that she explained it was so simple that I think even, like, non-music people will be like, okay, I get that. I, I, I get it. And that makes sense. And cool. I mean, I would love to personally ask her, like, Taylor, do you want us to, like, throw away the old albums? Like, I
0: don't think and, or, she wants you only... to throw away your physical copies just stop streaming the ones that big machine owns. It's like do you Slash. do you want us to sort of like
1: forget about the old ones and only sort of listen to the new ones because do you like even if we have like emotional connections to the original material do you not want us to do that because it's sort of giving money to people that isn't new or I think
0: what she's so smart in this whole process though is that she's like super serving her fans with these releases so it doesn't feel like a cash grab it instead feels like a greatest hits compilation for each project that she ever did because she's putting out these new tracks from that era and all of a sudden it's like you're getting a box set from your favorite artist like 15, 20 years earlier than you normally would. Do you know what I mean? And she's creating this, this whole universe around these beloved albums and each one of her projects is beloved in its own way. And so it doesn't feel... You know, empty. It doesn't feel like I'm just doing this to get my stuff back. It's like right. she also, you know, is is doing so much service to the fans. There's, in yeah, the there's, there's
1: there's it's so much more than just like oh, I'm going to re-record stuff.
0: I'm yes. Like, nope.
1: Like, remember, it's so remember? thoughtful. Like when we were talking about this, the initially, like before fearless and any of the songs came out we were talking about oh like remember when Def Leppard re-recorded a couple songs yeah. and like prince did 1999 again and yada yada we're this like yeah no so this beyond. beyond yeah so beyond yeah so beyond and okay, like are- i
0: was okay i know that speaking of beyond we are beyond <laughs> our normal time but yeah. i i have to say something else because clearly this is a hot topic but um i was thinking as i was listening to the new version I wonder if part of her ever feels like, God, I wish I could leave that song off (laughs) that I didn't actually like that much when I put it out, because some of these songs are not, you know, her from the vault, songs are choices that she's making to put them on like she can choose whether to put something on but she can't choose whether to delete something and then also i would say the same when it comes to like her deluxe um edition bonus tracks but there's some gems in those but like i think that sometimes she has to think like i just tacked that onto the target version like do i really need to like you know hire a a new band to re-record it
1: she doesn't have to do any of that she could be like you know
0: what i feel like
1: my well, statement now, Red Red does not need to include this song.
0: I don't you know? know, though, but I think her fans would riot. And I also feel like, her. you know, she's like <laughs> a completist. And the idea of her needing to own that work, if she doesn't include one of those bonus tracks or, you know, something she doesn't like from the original album, then she's losing out on it because they'll go find it someplace else. So anyway, that part stuck to me. And then I started thinking, sorry, this is now we're really going beyond. um, But I started thinking, like trying to relate to Taylor. What if I had to, like, regurgitate old, like articles that I wrote 10 years ago and things that I had forgotten even existed because I haven't revisited them in more than 10 years? There'd be things I'd want to leave on the cutting room floor was all I'm saying. (laughs) But I'm not Taylor Swift.
1: I I think it's one of those things where she's in a different situation because her quality control is of a different sort of level.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, And, and she, she, even then she was probably only putting out like what she really wanted to put out. But even still, I'm sure there were probably like, you know, she had her own pressures to put on like, well, we need to have this song on the album. We need to have this thing for this person and this bonus track for whoever. And, you're proud of all those songs in the time. Otherwise, you wouldn't have wrote them or yeah. recorded them. But yeah, there's probably a bit of that. And there's probably less of that as you get farther and farther into the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Girl at Home, which is one of the bonus tracks. I honestly feel like she probably left it off Red because it was too pop. I mean, it probably I mean, because it sounds like a 1989 song, honestly. Um, but anyway, we very much digress. OK. All
1: right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the Week. Lightning! This week in 1984, Wham! The pop duo of George Michael and Andrew Ridgely hit number one on the Hot 100 for the first time with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. The track rose to the top of the list, dated November 17, 1984, and spent three weeks at number one. The single was from the duo's number one Billboard 200 album, Make It Big. The pair would score two more leaders on the Hot 100 with Careless Whisper, which was credited to Wham! featuring George Michael, though Hmm. it was essentially a solo George song. Did not know that. And Everything She Wants. Hmm. Uh, Fun fact around Careless Whisper, in the UK and in other territories around the world, it was just credited to George Michael. Hmm. But in America, it was credited to Wham! featuring George Michael and I think you could probably argue that when Careless Whisper came out, Wham! was still um The more popular and, entity? And the more popular entity, and like people didn't really know George Michael yet as an individual. Yet. yet. Whereas in the UK, the cycle was deeper, and Wham! had was way bigger, and people all knew who George Michael was. Yeah. So... Um, you know, kind of a curiosity there, and you can look on discogs and fall into a hole of, oh, look at how this single was pictured and, why, <laughs> and what the title of it here was. Anyway, um, so Wham! actually split in 1986 just a, a couple years later, and Michael went solo, going on to score seven more number ones of his own in addition to Careless Whisper. George Michael died in 2016 at the age of 53, but his music, both his and Wham!, lives on. This past January, Wham!'s evergreen holiday song, Last Christmas, reached the top 10 on the Hot 100 for the first time, while it also hit number one on the official UK singles chart for the first time last December. So there you have it, this week in 1984, Wham! made it big on the Hot 100 as Wake Me Up Before You Go Go danced its way to number one. Wake me up you just realize I've been. <laughs> i've been moving my chair and i'm like what sound is that there's someone oh, no. in the alleyway out back I'm like, <laughs> it no you? it's actually it's me moving my chair back and forth and it's like the tissue paper from the taylor box <laughs> that i opened darn you taylor you're you're screwing up the audio in the show with your gift <laughs> oh. um all right so any uh we've reached the end of our supersized show good lord um mm-hmm. any parting words katie
0: that was my favorite song when I was a kid. And so I must have been, you know, two to three years old. I used to sing Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. So I guess Wham! was my version of uh, Dua Lipa for Calvin.
1: <laughs> I mean, George did sing uh, I'm Not Planning on Going and Solo.
0: Ah, it's right there yet, in the song. And yet. He was he definitely did. planning on it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely planning Sometimes on it. Sometimes
0: people say the quiet part out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what song should we go out on? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love Wham. I love, actually, you mentioned everything she wants, which is such a jam. Let's do that. All right, cool. Uh, We'll go out on that, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.